everyone and welcome to episode 17 of this Bible study podcast series reading through the Gospel of Luke. I'm so glad that you are here with me again today because we've got a slew of powerhouse miracles from our Lord Jesus to finish off chapter 8 in our reading today. We've got Luke chapter 8 verses 22 through 56. Lots to read, lots to talk about. Let's get into it. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. Open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, Let us cross to the other side of the lake. So they set sail, and while they were sailing, he fell asleep. A squall blew over the lake, and they were taking in water and were in danger. They came and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. He awakened rebuked the wind and the waves, and they subsided, and there was calm. Then he asked them, Where is your faith? But they were filled with awe and amazed, and said to one another, Who then is this who commands even the winds and the sea, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the territory of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he came ashore, a man from the town who was possessed by demons met him. For a long time he had not worn clothes. He did not live in a house, but lived among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. In a loud voice he shouted, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had ordered the unclean spirit to come out of the man. It had taken hold of him many times, and he used to be bound with chains and shackles as a restraint, but he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into deserted places. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, Legion, because many demons had entered him, and they pleaded with him not to order them to depart to the abyss. A herd of many swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they pleaded with him to allow them to enter those swine, and he let them. The demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherds saw what had happened, they ran away and reported the incident in the town and throughout the countryside. People came out to see what had happened, and when they approached Jesus, they discovered the man from whom the demons had come out sitting at his feet. He was clothed and in his right mind, and they were seized with fear. Those who witnessed it told them how the possessed man had been saved. The entire population of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were seized with great fear. So he got into a boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had come out begged to remain with him, but he sent him away, saying, Return home and recount what God has done for you. The man went off and proclaimed throughout the whole town what Jesus had done for him. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And a man named Jairus, an official of the synagogue, came forward. He fell at the feet of Jesus and begged him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about twelve years old, and she was dying. As he went, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for twelve years, who had spent her whole livelihood on doctors and was unable to be cured by anyone, came up behind him and touched the tassel of his cloak. Immediately her bleeding stopped. Jesus then asked, Who touched me? While all were denying it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are pushing and pressing in upon you. But Jesus said, Someone has touched me, for I know that power has gone out from me. 
When the woman realized that she had not escaped notice, she came forward trembling. Falling down before him, she explained in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. On hearing this, Jesus answered him, Do not be afraid. Just have faith, and she will be saved. And when he arrived at the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the child's father and mother. All were weeping and mourning for her when he said, Do not weep any longer, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him because they knew that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and called to her, Child, arise. Her breath returned, and she immediately arose. He then directed that they, that she should be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, and he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow, lots of good stories here. Let's get into it. Beginning with the first one, calming of the storm. It begins... <laughs> section just begins with like one day he got into a boat which i think is just like a i just want to make it poke a jab at luke's poor chronology and his his order it's not like a luke doesn't write like a next the next day after what just happened or immediately after this they got into the boat it's just like a and and once upon a time there was a day when jesus got into the boat uh, but they get in the boat and jesus says we got to go across to the other side and jesus falls asleep in the boat. And as soon as Jesus falls asleep, there's a big storm, dangerous storm. And the, the apostles, they're like gaining water. So they wake up Jesus because they're afraid. And it says, Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. Now, I'm, I'm always amused when I read this because uh, I looked up the definition for the word rebuked. And uh, a rebuke is an expression of strong disapproval or, or like a reprimand. So I'm just imagining Jesus like turning to the side of the boat and being like, waves, stop it. I'm disappointed in you. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Um, but then he, so he, he tells them to stop and it's, it's calm. The power of Jesus's words, uh, the wind and waves cease, and he turns to his apostles and he says, where is your faith? Now I'm, <laughs> I, I imagine the scene of like, how long is Jesus awake for? Does he go back to sleep after this? Um, I'm imagining that like Jesus is deep in a nap, wakes up kind of like half awake and, and says something to the wind and the waves and they calm down. And like Jesus like sleepily is like, where's your, where's your faith? And goes right back to sleep. <laughs> um, but the, the rest of them are, are shocked, amazed and awed as he just, just goes right back to his nap they say, who, who then is this who commands even the winds and the sea and they obey him? Uh, as if to say, like, okay, we've been, we've been with him for a little while. He's fulfilled some of the marks of the Messiah, but like wind and waves, like he can control the waters of the sea. There's got to be something more to this guy than just a Messiah. Maybe some divinity. Maybe they're starting to get a sense of it. But there's so much here. This is definitely one of those stories in the Bible, uh, in the gospel, that we can apply to our lives and like our, our personal spirituality. That For these apostles, 
even though they've seen Jesus do incredible miracles so far, it was still hard for them to believe that he would save them from certain shipwreck while he appeared to be sleeping. I think it's similar for us that the question for us is, do we trust that Jesus is in control in the middle of the storm? In the storms of our lives, can we have faith that Jesus will be in control? He will calm the wind and the waves and and he takes care of it. Can we trust him? Can we trust Jesus in the middle of the storm? Second story that we've got is once they get to the other side of the lake, it says they arrived at the territory of the Gerasenes. This is across across the Sea of Galilee from, from the region of Galilee. And they're in Gentile territory now. And it says, As he came ashore, like immediately upon arriving, a man from the town who was possessed by demons met him. And now this is this is just a fascinating and kind of um, gross scene. It says he had not worn clothes for years and he was forced to live out in the tombs. Uh, he was chained up by shackles, so he's only covered by probably some chains on his wrists, on his legs maybe. So he's this mangy, naked man who is demon-possessed as well. So like, what a welcome. Remember that when Jesus said before to the boys, like, hey, we got to, let's go across the sea. We got some business to take care of. And this is what they're met with. What were the apostles thinking in this moment? Like, Jesus, what did you sign us up for? But they get they get out to the shore, and this is immediately what happens. Uh, and the man, possessed by many demons, calls Jesus Son of the Most High God. Again, we, we saw this before, back in chapter 4, that the demons are able to identify Jesus. But in their identify, identification of Jesus, it says that they begged Jesus, I beg you, do not torment me. We find the demons trembling before our mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but this is, this is not simply just a man with like a weak demon in him. It says that this man was, was chained and bound, but he would break his restraints. He would break loose from the chains that he was bound by. Incredibly powerful. Uh, this demon that he's possessed by, and Jesus asks a name, and he replies, Legion. That it's not it's not simply one demon, but he's possessed by many demons. How many? Uh, well, if we consider like a Roman legion at the time was thousands of soldiers, that this man is possessed by thousands of demons, a legion of demons. But yet they tremble before Jesus. Thousands of demons have nothing on Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus overpowers even thousands of demons, and he sends them into the swine herd, and the swine drown themselves in the water. A few things to say about this. One is that they they begged to be drowned with the swine. The demons begged that Jesus would let them go drown themselves. You almost have to wonder, what worse thing was Jesus going to do to them? Like, what was Jesus going to do to all these demons if not for, like, having them drown themselves? All in wonder at the power of Jesus Christ. Um, second thing is the presence of swine indicates, again, to us that this is for sure Gentile territory that Jesus is in. Because uh, swine, pigs, definitely unclean for Jews. I, f- I think we've mentioned that before in the series. Uh, but pigs, unclean for Jews. So this is definitely 
uh, Gentile territory. And three, uh, how the heck did the swineherd feel about this? He just lost all his pigs. Um, but he moves quick into the town to start spreading the word because it's not super long, next verse, where it says the crowd comes. Uh, and I, I guess I, I wonder, like, how much time did Jesus spend there pretty much just, like, on the shore? Like, it doesn't really say they got much further into town than just right there on the shore where they met the demoniac at the beginning. Um, but pretty soon a crowd comes and they find that this man who was incredibly demon-possessed, incredibly dangerous, is sitting at the feet of Jesus, the posture of a disciple. (laughs) And he is clothed and in his right mind, and they're listening to Jesus, that only Jesus Christ could turn the demoniac to a disciple, the man possessed by a legion of demons into a disciple, clothed and in his right mind, and the people it says they're seized with fear. Now, I've heard this before, that people uh, respond in fear to Jesus' miracles. We've seen that a, a bunch of times. But the Gentiles receive this miracle poorly than the others. The difference between uh, others, f- fear for them meant awe, like awe at the power of the Messiah. But these Gentiles receive it as simply fear of power that they're afraid of what happens. And it it says, and this is incredible to me, it says the entire population of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave. I, that's pro, I mean, that's probably a little bit of hyperbole. Um, but every single person in the crowd, just imagine, what a, what a welcome. Jesus was literally there for like a few hours, maybe, Uh, Based on our reading of this, it doesn't seem like he's gotten very far into the region. As far as I can tell from reading this, Jesus arrived, like healed the demoniac, maybe talked with him for a little bit. They didn't get much farther than the shore where they pulled up. uh, And they were there for a few hours at most. And then they leave. Very short trip for Jesus across, uh, across the body of water into this area. Why? Why would Jesus do this? Go all the way across the Sea of Galilee to this region just for this, to be there for such a short period of time to go straight back. Because when the man asks to come with, he begs for begs to Jesus, can I come with you? Jesus makes him stay. <laughs> Why? Jesus says, return home and recount what God has done for you. That Jesus took this super brief trip into Gentile territory to make a radical miracle uh, that allows for this demoniac, this person at the very depths, rock bottom, demon-possessed, this man becomes, in our story, in the Gospel of Luke, the first apostle to the Gentiles. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? Jesus comes and takes the man, the lowest of low, the most dangerous man in the region, and in an instant transforms him, and leaves him to be the first apostle to the Gentiles in our story. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Love it. Okay, last section where we have kind of two miracle stories woven together. So Jesus goes right back across the sea, back into Galilee, and it says there's a crowd waiting for him. Uh, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all they were all waiting on shore. What a much better welcome back in Galilee than on the other side of the pond. And then uh, we have a synagogue official named Jairus. If you don't like the pronunciation, I'm sorry. 
that's where we're going. That's what we're going with. And he says he's a dying daughter. That his twelve-year-old girl is is about to die. And Jesus Jesus goes. He goes to heal her. But said the crowds nearly crushed him. Tons of people that were waiting for Jesus and just piling around him as he's trying to get to Jairus's house. And one of the people in the crowd is a woman with hemorrhages. Now this is uh this is tricky. Because in Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25, it says, When a woman has a flow of blood for several days outside her menstrual period, as long as she suffers this unclean flow, she shall be unclean. So this woman, who is who's bleeding a lot and has been, it says, for like 12 years, uh, is considered unclean. So she shouldn't be in the crowd. She probably should be staying away from people. So this is a bold move on the part of this woman with hemorrhages and equally bold because it says she's tried for 12 years with all sorts of doctors spent all of her money and has received no cure what incredible faith for her to present herself one in a massive crowd where she is not supposed to be because she is ritually unclean and two that 12 years and all her money led her to nothing All it takes is one touch of Jesus's robe. She simply touches the hem of his robe and it's cleaned and it's healed. Uh, What a miracle. And Jesus responds, who touched me? Which almost seems like a, like a funny joke. And I think Peter, Peter seems to receive it as a funny joke. He essentially says, well, duh, Jesus, you're like surrounded by hundreds of people right now. Everyone's touching you. Um, also, side note, and because I've I've found this important when I read through it, this is the first time, like I've mentioned previously when we listed the twelve apostles, that they don't get much mention during the rest of the story. This is the first time that we've seen the apostles saying anything, like any one of them saying anything, and we're on like the end of chapter eight. Like I said, we they don't they don't get much voice in Luke's gospel, um, but Peter says, uh, "Yeah, yeah, duh, Jesus, everyone's been touching you." Um, but I think in some way, this reveals Jesus's divinity. Uh, that he he says, "I I can sense power flowing out of me." Uh, that Jesus essentially healed this woman subconsciously by his very being. Uh, that a woman encountered him with faith and it led to healing power that this is the formula faith and an encounter faith plus an encounter equals power power of jesus if we had that same faith if we came before jesus with the incredible faith of the woman with hemorrhages that when all else is gone like jesus christ can save jesus christ can heal if we present ourselves before him and have an encounter with that same expectant faith, what incredible power can come forth from Jesus Christ all the same. So that happens. Uh, and then Jesus says, who touched me? And she comes forward trembling. I, I mean, two reasons. When she sh- One, she shouldn't have been there. Uh, so she knows that. But two, she was just clean of something that was afflicting her for 12 years. Her life has just been transformed. She's trembling. She falls at the feet of Jesus, explains herself, and Jesus simply says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's the same thing he said to the sinful woman back in uh, chapter 7, verse 50. The same formula. 
that faith, our faith leads to forgiveness and that forgiveness leads us to peace, the peace that Jesus brings. So that happens, and maybe that slowed Jesus down a little bit. I don't know, but either way, in the meantime, a messenger shows up to report that Jairus' daughter is now dead. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just have faith, and she'll be saved. Two things. One is that we, we see that phrase, do not be afraid, all over the Bible. It's indicative of the, the heart of God, that our God is a God of peace and not a God of fear, that we ought not live in fear when we have faith. And that faith, again, he, he says it again, that uh, just have faith and she will be saved. That faith leads to salvation. Faith leads to forgiveness. So Jesus keeps going. He shows up at the house. And when he gets there, uh, he only has three people come in with him, uh, and include in addition to the, the mother and father. But he only brings in Peter and James and John of the twelve. This is our first moment where we see kind of the the, in, the inner circle of Jesus' apostles. Like we got the top 12. Out of all Jesus' disciples, he picked the top 12. And then he picks the top three, Peter, James, and John, to be like his, his top three inner circle. Um, but why for this? Like why does Jesus make this a little bit more privatized? Because we just read the other day, uh, chapter 7, the raising of the widow's son. Like she raised the widow's son from the dead and that was public. I was in front of a big crowd, if you remember that. So uh, why this? And then again, later later on after he does it, we just, we read, he says, tell no one what happened after he performs this miracle. So for whatever reason, Jesus is now back to this idea of the messianic secret. This idea of like, I'm going to try to keep this on the DL now. Even though he just went pretty public, he's got a massive crowd already following him. But Jesus now at this moment is like, ah, we're going to try to keep this one on the down low. Um, so he only, he only brings in the top three, the inner circle. Uh, but he walks in and he says, do not weep. It's the same thing again that he said to the widow back in chapter 7, do not weep. That he not only raises the dead, but he brings peace. The peace of God, the heart of God is peace. Uh, but they knew she was dead. Like Jesus says, uh, she's not she's not dead, but sleeping. Uh, and they they were they rebuke Jesus, and they they say back to him like, yeah, she she's actually dead. And I think Jesus knows this. That of course she is actually dead. Jesus is not, I think, like poking at them like, oh, you're just wrong. She's not dead. She's just asleep. What Jesus is saying, I think, in a symbolic way, is that in Christ. Death is only temporary. This is kind of the, the foreshadowing of the resurrection and the, the eternal life in heaven that we have with Jesus. That in Jesus, death is only temporary. And that death is only uh, kind of a, a sleep and a transition to the eternity of heaven. And he says to her, child, arise, resurrects her, brings her back, and then <laughs> directs that she should be given something to eat. I think maybe in some way to like prove that she's alive, like living beings eat food. <laughs> dead dead people don't eat food. Uh, but Jesus feeds us and nourishes us. But not only that, but he raises us from the dead and gives us new life. What an incredible Messiah that we read about today. Wow. I this is this is a great section of reading today. What in, what incredible miracles 
we have read today, we ought to yet be captivated by the incredible power of Jesus Christ. I think the question for us is, do we trust in this this mighty power of Jesus, not working as like stories in this book, but yet working in our lives as well? Do we trust the power of Jesus in our storm, in our sin, in our, our death, in the brokenness of our lives and in the storms and the anxiety and the stress of our lives? Do we trust in the power of Jesus Christ to bring us peace that we can live in the resurrection and the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. My friends, let's live in that resurrection power of Jesus today. I'm so glad you're here with me again today. I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.